We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, we're joined by the Mercatus Center's Veronique de Rougy. Vero, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I want to start with uh, something that you wrote recently. You say, and this is as it pertains to Congress's um, attempts to send aid money to Ukraine, you say, in addition, this is a reminder that when an emergency occurs, it is better to have one's fiscal house in order as to be able to pay for unexpected needs without adding to the country's already large deficits. This is essentially important when inflation is already raging as a result of overspending and a too accommodating monetary policy. I want to break that down point by point because it covers so much ground, and it's ground that a lot of people actually are not covering at all or talking about um, because it does seem as though the fiscal issues get sort of put on the back burner anytime, understandably so, there is an emergency. But can we start with your first point about um, the, the aid money to Ukraine, its effect on the deficit, and why emergency situations sort of highlight how messy um, our fiscal house is at any given moment, basically? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, a, a talking point in pretty much every congressional budget office report about uh, the projection of our, uh, of our debt or the outlook of our budget for the next 10 years or 50 years, that um, the danger of large deficit and, and large debt uh, is that it makes it harder um, to respond to emergencies. I mean, so this is not new. I mean, the I think the CBO has been saying this for 20 years, right? And as a result, I've been saying it for 20 years, <laughs> uh, you know? And, and now, I mean, to be fair, uh, we have been able to respond to emergency, but there is a moment, right, where... Um, uh, where basically the cost of adding always so much emergency uh, spending, um, so much emergency spending to our debt uh, and never ever uh, having our financial house in order can have significant cost, right? I mean, deficits, are going to be paid one way or another. They're going to be paid with higher taxes. They could be, uh, they are always paid higher debt with lower growth. Uh, and in the worst case scenario, they're also paid with inflation, right? Inflation is a way for the government to dispense of the debt. So I think uh, we, 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 have, we have to kind of acknowledge that we we would always be in a better position to answer to emergencies with less of a cost to us if our house our fiscal house was in order. Yeah, and let's actually because this is an emergency layered on top of very recent emergency spendings, uh, spending initiatives, as it always seems to be, you know, we just sort of layer the emergencies on top of each other. And it's always, we're always in some state of yeah. emergency. Um, but how much do you think the, the COVID emergency spending, both under Trump and Biden, 
in addition to the Build Back Better spending that Biden passed through Congress, how how these variables are sort of difficult to disentangle sometimes, but what level or, or how much is that affecting the current um, inflation that people are experiencing? Well, I mean, I mean, it, I mean, it, it's hard to kind of deny that it, it plays a significant role uh, in even, even um, you know, more left-leaning economists like Larry Summers and Olivier Blanchard and even Jason Furman, right, who served under, um, under um, you know, Democratic uh, administration have, uh, have acknowledged that actually it is our, the unprecedented level of spending that has taken place uh, uh, accommodated by the Federal Reserve that are the main driver of, of this inflation. I mean, to get an idea of what has been done, right? The Treasury first issued $3 trillion of new debt, which the Fed, you know, uh, quickly uh, bought in turn for $3 trillion of new reserve, and Treasury then was sending checks right, transferring the reserve to people's bank. And then the treasury borrowed another $2 trillion uh, in the form of um, the form of uh, uh, the uh, American Rescue Plan at the time where the economy was mostly recovered, unemployment uh, had, had uh, collapsed uh, quite significantly. And, and the result of all this, right, was a lot of $5 trillion to six trillion of printing and, and borrowing money, and the federal debt rose to nearly thirty trillion dollars. And an added factor is the fact that um, there's absolutely no talks, um, unlike previous during previous recession, to actually pay down all of that debt, right? And so um, that fueled that big increase in demand mostly targeted for durable goods, right? Because we were in a pandemic where people weren't going to the movies, people weren't going to the theater, people go weren't going to, uh, to restaurants, mostly towards durable goods. This enormously elevated um, demand was not matched by an increase in the supply because there were, there were, um, all these stimulus basically did not produce significantly more output, and there was, you know, there were supply chain issues in the first place. Right, and that goes to your point about how important it is to have your house in order before emergencies happen because it exacerbates the problem when you don't. And it's hard to even get. I think you just mentioned something that. Um, at this during this particular moment, nobody's even sort of talking about debt and deficits. It's again totally fallen uh, to the wayside. It's on the back burner, even among Republicans, which is historically a little bit odd. But um, it, it's odd that they're not talking about it. Uh, it's not odd that they are adding to the the deficit and the debt, but it is odd that they're not talking <laughs> about it. Um, so why do you think it is? And if you had to make sort of a, an elevator pitch to a Republican who says listen, we have way more pressing issues right now about the debt and the deficit. Um, why would you tell someone, you know, maybe your average voter who's concerned about all of these other issues, why would you tell them that, you know, this is, you, you should be deeply concerned about what's happening in our, our fiscal house? 
Well, I mean, there are many reasons why we should be concerned. I mean, you don't even have to be a raging libertarian and liking your government small to actually think we should have a fiscal house in order and be spending less money by borrowing like we do. Um, the first reason is obviously that deficits um, deficits often are paid for with future taxes, right? I mean, it's just, it's a reality. So there's this illusion that money can fall from the sky with consequences and that just, that's just not, not correct. There's another point, which is actually deficits are expensive. They're expensive because you have to pay interest on the debt. And while uh, interest payment, interest rates have been historically low, and don't seem to be budging very much, even in the face of this inflation, um, if, it's not gonna last, it, it, it never lasts. People who, who, who are counting on low interest rates forever are just actually, I think a little delusional. It's like saying that when you live on the, uh, you know, on the earthquake uh, fault in California and that there hasn't been an earthquake, you mean that there will never be an earthquake. I mean, that's, this is kind of a dangerous proposition to live by. The other one is that Let's even assume that interest rates never go up, right? Small interest rate, low interest rates on a growing amount of debt is still a growing amount of interest payments. And interest payments end up being, becoming so big as projected by the CBO that they're going to represent uh, a large amount of our revenue, but also of our spending. So it means we're is going to start crowding out some of the stuff that people think they want. Um, another thing is that debt in and of itself, we have plenty of evidence, lower growth. I mean, it slows down the growth uh, of the economy. And, and that is that is, you know, that's obviously a, a, a problem. <laughs> for all sorts of reason, and in particular because uh, for future generation, but also for lower income, uh, uh, lower income America. I mean, it's a problem for everyone, let's face it. But those who are going to pay the price, uh, you know, the most heavily are lower income Americans and future generations. Right. And, and that is just an amazing, um, I think, disconnect on the left that they, they act as though it's, it's something only upper middle, upper middle class and, and upper class, the 1% cares about. Um, but it actually, the, the costs are, are clearly passed down, um, maybe not at this moment, but uh, certainly, I think, partially at this moment, but also down the road, um, the further that you keep on going and the further that you keep on kicking the can, uh, there's so much to sort of talk about here because I feel like we don't cover it very often. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to. There's another. There's actually another. If I if I may. Yeah. No, there's please. Another point that is really really um, overlooked, and I have to admit I overlooked it for a long time because you know we tend to think about we do fiscal policy on one end and and monetary policy on the other. And I do mostly fiscal policy. I mean, it's only recently, right? I, I mean, until the last 40 years, inflation was not a problem, right? It's like, we're like, we're just, I mean, so it never got to really think about the connection between the two. But one of the things that having large debt and deficit does is like it actually makes controlling inflation, inflation if inflation becomes persistent, harder. And the reason is part of some of the things that I've said before, uh, but there's, so our debt is really, really high. So 
if the Fed number one tool to fighting inflation is increasing interest rates, you can you can see that immediately increasing interest rates ends up in increasing interest payments, right? So that's a problem. But it's even more a problem because 25% of our debt roughly, uh, actually it's probably more if you count a few things, has a maturity of less than a year. It's really short term. So it means that every year the 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 Treasury has to roll over our debt, right? And basically they have to pay back short-term investors and they have to reborrow the money, right? So what does it mean if interest rates are higher? It means that the cost of those higher interest rates are, are felt immediately, unlike a situation where our debt would be long-term and really the, 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 the price of increased interest rates would only be felt for new debt and also you know, really far down the road. And so that alone is, it makes it harder to control inflation, makes it more painful to control inflation and sometimes can actually create disincentive for politicians to push for control of inflation, but even for the Federal Reserve to actually act fast because okay. they know that their action on that front will cause a lot of fiscal discomfort. The Washington elites strike again, asleep at the switch as the markets fluctuate, losing Americans' hard-earned money. Seems like it's time to look for places to invest with a little less Washington in the mix. How about an asset that's been around for 277 years? I'm talking about fine art. Not many people know, but returns in the contemporary art market specifically have outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% from 1995 to 2021. So it makes sense why the ultra-wealthy have been hoarding it for centuries. But now there's a startup called Masterworks that's allowing access for all, just as investors are looking for new areas to diversify into, too. And how they're doing it is changing the game. They enable you to buy shares that represent an investment in a specific artwork so you can invest in multi-million dollar paintings without needing the multi-million part. And Federalist Radio Hour listeners get special priority access. Just go to masterworks.art slash Federalist. That's masterworks.art slash Federalist. And see important Regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io slash CD. So I was actually just going to ask you a question in this vein, in that it, it, to what extent do you think, as you said earlier, you know, the, the fact that you've been talking about this for 20 years, um, you know, in some people's mind, that sort of is, it seems to me, the answer they need, right? The, 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 ha the house has not come crashing down on us. Um, so essentially, we're fine, and we can keep kicking the can, and we can keep spending to what extent do you think the fact that the house hasn't crashed in, it's sort of this weird um, dynamic where because of that, you get people using everything to justify uh, modern monetary theory and you get all of these people saying, well, this isn't urgent. You know, clearly we, we keep coming up with new ways to um, get through the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years. Um, so we can always do that. It, does it almost work against the, the need to do something that we sort of continue to scrape by? 
uh, yeah, yeah, and it's also not helped that people like me have been screaming wolf <laughs> or <laughs> screaming fire or whatever for, for a long time, right? I mean, I, I mean, on the inflation part, I mean, I obviously there were just there were things because it wasn't my, uh, I probably embraced too much the uh, ultra monetarist um, vision of the world um, and. And you know the last the last recession, obviously, I, I me like many many others thought that printing that much money would inevitably leads to uh, very problematic inflation. And I mean, I was I was totally wrong, and so were many other people. But uh, so that doesn't help. But also, it is true that inflation has been really low, and interest rates have been very low for a long time. And as a result, I think there just really are people who have thought that actually debt will never be a problem, and and interest rates will never go up again, and inflation has been is under control. And so, what happens when you believe this is that you can actually kind of like think about um, the Fed as being a tool um, that has uh, has been an institution that's that's conquered price stability and hence can focus its energy on doing a lot of other things, like you know just try to actually uh, trigger inclusive growth, um, address climate, and things like this. And then on the fiscal side, you have people who've been uh, writing papers, very serious economists saying, you know what, interest rates are low. And as long as you don't go, uh, as long as you don't go, um, um, as long as interest rates, you know, stay low and you invest uh, spending wisely, well, you, you, you can go. Debt has no, as just, it, it's not a risk. And and that has, that, and, and this is, this is sweet honey to politicians, right? I mean, they're like, they're like, oh, great. <laughs> this is awesome. And so, yeah, I mean, of course, I mean, this is, this, this has been, and, and the, this inflation, right, is a big wake up call. And it's really quite fascinating to, um, to, to listen to what people are saying about the cause of this inflation. It's as if people have completely forgotten that you know, Congress and 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 the Fed have any role to play. It's all about supply chains and the price of lumber first, and the price of used cars, and now it's all Ukraine. The president has told us that we needed to stop to blame the American Recovery Act um, yeah. for inflation because it's all about Ukraine. It's all Putin. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's just really quite fascinating. Yeah, it's been just an incredible amount of, uh, I'll just say bullshit from the Biden administration in the last couple of weeks, especially since the war has has escalated. Uh, the Putin price hike, I think, is a name they're trying to uh, stick because of gas prices, which is just absurd. Um, and, and I wanted to ask you actually about one argument on the left that does strike me as at least partially true, but I wanna get your thoughts on how true and how relevant it is, which is that there there is some evidence from polls of people in the industry, for instance, that retail, retail companies um, have used inflation 
as an excuse basically to increase some prices and they're helped in that by consolidation. There are people on the left that make this argument specifically about consolidation in the meatpacking industry. The president has made that argument. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on on how much that actually is uh, impacting inflation. Again, we do have polls. People in the industry said, well, yeah, um, it, cars, that's another industry, luxury cars in particular. Uh, but how much of a problem do you think that is? You know, I mean, there are always, you know, some people who are willing to take advantage of, of the situation. I mean, look, I mean, like private colleges, um, they respond to subsidize uh, uh, student loans by increasing their price of tuition. Right, right. right. I mean, you know, you know, of course, I mean, it's like, um, I, I think I think there are always people. I mean, I, I've noticed for a long time, like the, during the pandemic, right, that the the cost of of uh, uh, going to the restaurant it becomes suddenly incredibly expensive, and that was even before inflation was a problem, right? It's just like people were like, hey, you know, I mean. Um, we can we can take some advantage of this, right? Or and we can provide, you know, a less service. Um, we can make them order their own things, and and we can you know ask for a bigger tip and all that stuff. So sure, is this what explains the inflation? No, it's right. not. It's not. I mean, what you have is you have an inc a monetary. Uh, expansion, uh, then uh, with basically a helicopter drop of money, if, like done through both the monetary regime and then you know and spent through uh, through the fiscal authority, that hurt themselves to some supply constraints, and and that just is not you know it's it's but the thing again looking back looking back at the seventies. There's nothing new in what politicians are saying. All of these excuses, you know, that it's like greedy corporations and, and you know, it was like it was the oil shock and it was everything but, you know, but the Fed and everything but Congress and the, and the spending, you know, we've we've been there before um, we've 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 heard these excuses before and i think i think it is really important to um, to note that this inflation we're experiencing now is a tremendous tremendous failure of the federal reserve they didn't see it coming they really did not see it coming they kept denying that it was a problem um, uh, they and they and they continue dragging their feet to act. Why and do you think they were they failed so miserably at seeing it coming? I don't know. I think honestly, I think they really thought they had conquered inflation. And <laughs> when you look at what was happening at Jackson Hall, you know their big conference mm -hmm. in August of uh, of twenty twenty one, really. I mean, they were not, inflation was there, but they were all the papers, so many of the papers there were all about how they could go up and down, you know, the, uh, the Phillips curve in order to, to do inclusive growth and stuff like this and, and talk about climate and, and, but not price stability. I don't know. I mean, they have a thousand. I mean, they have how many thousand economists do they have? They're supposed to hire the best economists, and 
they could have monitored was what was going through ports and and they could have like I mean, I mean, Chairman Powell, I mean, like, I, I, I'm always like, I was reading in the Wall Street Journal the other day that, you know, there's just the problem with the Fed is that there, there are so many Democrats and very few, but, but Chairman Powell is, he means is, 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 I mean, he's supposed to be a Republican, but he's a Kentian, right? Mm-hmm. He was chairing the American recovery plan when Larry Summers. I was just going to say Larry Summers. And, and other, and, but, but Jason Furman and Olivier Blanchard were saying, don't, 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 don't. Mm. Right. I mean, and, and that is a problem. It just, it is, it is a real big problem and they continue. They seem to continue to, they, they haven't acknowledged their mistakes they are, it seems to me, not taking measures that are appropriate. They still are under the illusion that they can do some sort of soft landing, which I don't think sadly is going to be possible. Obviously, you know, I mean, I've been wrong before. I could be wrong about this and, you know, we can always hope, right? But, uh, and so they're really dragging their feet. They're planning all these teeny bitty 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 rate increases, which will leave us with a real interest rate still negative. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know this. I think this will be remembered like the 1970s as an extraordinary failure on the part of the Federal Reserve. Mm. Well, and and hopefully uh, one that people are, are willing to admit is a failure and, and can learn from, at the very least, if there's any silver lining, that would be a good one to have. Um, and speaking of these, the sort of intellectual failure of um, you know, some people in, in the field, I want to ask about modern monetary theory. Uh, the New York Times sort of tried to highlight it in a recent article uh, about one of the, the women in particular who, who champions it the most. Um, but... And I'm not, of course, suggesting that the Larry Summers of the world subscribe to MMT. I know that's not the case. No, no, he really doesn't. Right. But it does seem as though, I mean, we've heard AOC kind of flirt with the idea of MMT before. It does seem that younger um, folks on the left have really latched onto the idea, even if they don't talk about it much. But it, it seems like it's such a convenient excuse. Yeah, to sort of spend, I, think, spend, I, think, spend. I think the time of MMT has been delayed. I think this episode is going to be grueling. We are far from being done with it. It's going to take a long time before we return to 2% uh, inflation rates. I think this is not, this is not, this is not going to be over for quite a while. I mean, it doesn't mean it's not going to peak and it's not going, but I think we should be expecting uh, fairly elevated inflation rates over time for quite a while. Um, first, let's let's remember, right, that as to last month, the Federal Reserve was still buying treasuries, right? They were still purchasing um, government debt. Uh, they, uh, and they're still roughly $500 billion of the American recovery plan that needs to go through the economy. That is before we even uh, we even talk about the stuff that the Democrats are not gonna give up trying to get through because while they're not talking about the build, um, build back America or build back better or whatever it's <laughs> called, um, uh, 
uh, I mean, they're still, I mean, in the State of the Union, right, the, the president was still naming every single one of these programs, just not naming it Build Back Better. Um, and so um, the Federal Reserve is still not increasing interest rates. I mean, we are, we are um, over a year into uh, uh, an inflationary period. And, and we have still not increased interest rates. Um, and so I think I wouldn't count on this going away immediately. And of course, the war in Iraq, the war in, uh, in, in Ukraine and, um, and maybe the COVID uh, pandemic um, uh, is, oh, it's more like the response of government to the COVID pandemics uh, is, Continue is going to continue creating some supply, some supply constraints. So you know, I'm, I don't, I don't know. I, I am incapable of predicting, but I think uh, it's wishful thinking to think this is going away. And what I worry about is not so much that we're going to see the level of inflation that we've seen in the 70s, uh, but what I worry is like we're going to experience the kind of stagflation that we've seen mm. with the Federal Reserve is going to increase rates, is going to slow down the economy because that's what's gonna happen. And then they're gonna pull back and accommodate and, 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 and really expand. And then we're gonna get more inflation and then they're going to to then they're going to restrain and then it's going to go back and forth. And that's, that's my, that's my most uh, worry. Uh, uh, actually, Larry Summers do, just wrote a, an article saying that it was his worry too. I don't know how I feel about all that, you know, agreement with him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listen, he, he's a remarkably good economist. I don't agree with him on, on, on everything, but even, even it, all his work about how we could, we could increase, um, we could increase debt. We could increase spending because interest rates were low, right? It wasn't at all. Um, it was actually not nothing like, uh, you know, the MMT. It was actually, I think, it was it was wishful thinking in terms of the kind of spending and the return that you get on government spending. Right, right. Uh, but but it was, you know. Uh, it was it was more about uh, it was more about the you know the it, it was just much more you know much more serious uh, arguments even though I I don't agree with it but yeah and and before we wrap up you I, I thought it was so interesting also when you said you know people have been talking about this for twenty years crying wolf on it for twenty years but it's not it, it's kind of not crying wolf just because we sort of managed to. Um, you know, scrape by year after year after year with more emergency spending and taxes on particular groups of people. And that's definitely an escape hatch for the left. Well, we'll just, you know, tax the entire 1% at 100%. Well, good luck um, making up the, the deficit with that. Uh, but is how, how worried right now in <laughs> 2022 are you? It sounds like maybe a silly question, but, um, you know, how serious of a situation are we in? Um, so first, I mean, I, I, I'd like to kind of point out something that very few people point out and that I tend to forget too. When you said, you know, we, maybe we weren't crying wolf. Well, we weren't crying wolf in, in, entirely because let's not pr 
forget that there was massive asset price increase, right? Stock market and all of that stuff, right? It's just, it did never led to the kind of generalization to all prices that mm-hmm. we usually expect with inflation. Um, I'm worried. I mean, I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm, I'm worried because uh, I'm more worried because actually I see literally zero political will to change things. They used to be, if you remember during the last great recession coming out of it, they were, uh, we had a big battle about austerity. We had a big battle over the debt ceiling. We had a big, big battle that ended up with uh, the super committee and the the government shutdowns. Yeah. Sequestration and then and then that ended up with spending caps that they did not really respect. But at the very least, we were having all these debates. There's none of that going on right now. Absolutely none of that going on right now. Uh, the Republicans, I mean, the Republicans obviously have, have opposed Build Back Better. That said, a lot of them, there's just a lot of this stuff in there, like the expanded child credit that they're in favor of. <laughs> um, uh, Republicans have always been bad on practice, as you've said, about spending. But now they're kind of, it's as if because of President Trump, who was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cut Social Security. I'm not gonna cut Medicare. Uh, it was kind of a license to finally be just who they wanted to be. It's just kind of like enough was talking about spending, and so um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really worried. I mean, our debt, our public debt, is like has reached 100% of GDP. It is projected to continue going up. Uh, we. Uh, we're going to have primary deficit of 5%, you know, when basically it's our deficit when you remove interest that we pay on our debt uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, growing to 20% of GDP in terms of in, in time of emergency and at each time it rackets ratchet up. Uh, and as I said, I mean, the, the truth is like, while we may not have a fiscal crisis of this, of like enormous, like, like, like Greece, Right for a while, what right. we have is like we have lower growth. We have, we have, we have. You know, we have we have a lot of the. We live with a lot of distortions created by the spending, and uh, and I just I really worry, worry about it because you know the culture. When you forget, when you forget about the culture of small government, um, and there's no more restraint on on politicians, and you tell them that it's okay to spend, and there's no consequences. It's just not going to end up well. And then you have inflation, and everyone seems to be like dragging their feet about doing something because it is true that doing something is going to slow down the economy. There's just no doubt about this. And but but also not doing it is not a guarantee. Doesn't mean things are going to go well either. Yeah. So it's just, I worry because, yeah, I mean, I, I do worry. No, that, that's a really, really helpful perspective um, because the child tax credit um, is, a, is a great example, although some people's version of it is, is just a child payment, a cash payment every month, uh, but it's well, a good it's example. It's a children uh, UBI, really. Right, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, and we saw that coming from the allegedly severely conservative Mitt Romney. Um, so it's, it's just sort of funny to see 
um, you know, where priorities shift. Um, and that's such a good example because there's a very real argument that says, listen, you worry about kids first and the deficit later. But I think your point is a, is a helpful one because it's not helpful to the middle class. It's not helpful to the lower class um, because all of this ends up raising prices on consumers. All of this ends up getting handed down to everyone via taxes at some point, even though you might not feel it immediately. And all those kids that we want to shower with money today are going to be the one who are going to be living in an economy that is not growing super fast with higher taxes, higher unemployment. I mean, that's really not, I don't see this as a, as a, as a good thing. Right. Nope. I'm, I'm with you on that. Veronique de Rougie of the Mercatus Center. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Of course, super fascinating and something we we don't talk about enough on this program. So I'm so glad that we covered it today. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. We will be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray.